gracious and merciful God, we give you thanks for the gospel, the good news of your son Jesus. We thank you that in it we see that you are faithful, that your word is sure, that you are kind and gracious. We pray that you will give us such understanding of yourself and your ways, such an understanding of the salvation you bring through Jesus, that we would share Zachariah's joy and be full of praise to you, our good and gracious God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Lynn has said, this is a busy time of the year for many of us. Work parties, end of year send-offs, NTE for some, school events for others, whether that's your own children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren. And of course it's busy at church, concerts and carols. And then of course there is the shopping, if you haven't managed to delegate it to others. Right, uh, we go and go and go. And then Christmas itself is upon us. And through the fog of busyness and tiredness, we try and focus on what Christmas is about. So this year, we thought we would let you get your head into the Christmas that is the birth of Jesus space, in distinction from Christmas the family reunion or Christmas the entertaining triumph as you reproduce those My Kitchen Rule recipes or Christmas the start of my summer holidays. We, we thought we'd let you get your head into the Christmas that is the birth of Jesus space have a lead into Christmas uh, by turning our minds to the event of Jesus' birth before we arrive at Christmas Day by listening to Luke chapter 1. In particular, we're going to listen to Zechariah's prophecy in Luke 1, 67 to 79, because Zechariah, led by the Spirit, nails the meaning of Jesus' birth, the birth anticipated in the announcement to Mary by the angel Gabriel, and recorded for us in chapter 2. Listening to what Zechariah, we can learn what Jesus came to do and why he did it. We can actually learn the gospel. So that should be the goal. And you leave here. Do I understand what Jesus came to do and why he did it? And actually, more important, do I know its truth for myself? But who is uh, Zechariah and why did the Spirit give him the gig of making known the meaning of Jesus' birth, the meaning of Jesus' coming? Well, as you listened, you, you would have realised that uh, Zechariah is a righteous Israelite, a priest, and he's getting on in years. Uh, he's the one to whom God promised a son in his old age, a son who would be John the Baptist. And though he was righteous, oh yes, he was a man perhaps of weary faith, who met the announcement of John's birth and ministry with unbelief. He wanted some reassurance, something other than the word, to know that the word spoken by Gabriel was true. How shall I know this? He'd asked Gabriel. As a consequence, Zachariah has just spent many months dumb, unable to speak. But now his wife Elizabeth has delivered and in obedience to the angelic word he has named his boy John. And Zachariah's heart is filled with joy, with joy at the satisfaction of his longing for a child 
with awe at God's mighty power that can still and loosen his tongue, wonder at God's kind faithfulness, even in the face of his faithlessness. For him, God's faithfulness is no longer a doctrine he's somehow committed to in the abstract. It's actually a truth he's experienced in every inch of his being, an overwhelming conviction as he feels, as he sees his child and he praises God. He speaks as one who knows that what God speaks should be believed. A lesson expressed in his prophecy which draws richly on what God has spoken in the past. And he speaks as one filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Lord to speak the truth of God to God's people, the same Spirit who spoke by the prophets in the past. So what does the Spirit say is happening in the two conceptions the angel has announced in chapter 1? What does the Spirit say is happening in the birth of John and in the soon-to-be birth of Jesus? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The first thing he says is that this is the work of the Lord, the God of Israel, himself acting, coming to save his people. They weren't alone. They weren't forgotten. The Lord himself is now acting to redeem, as God had promised in Isaiah 40 and many other places. He is now coming himself to comfort and deliver his people, to redeem them. And redeem, of course, was a rich word for Old Testament believers. It's giving freedom at a cost. The Lord had redeemed his people from Egypt. He'd rescued them then from genocidal oppression. The Lord had redeemed his people from Babylon, rescued them from the exile their sin had brought upon them. And now a subject people of the Romans with invaders in the land, the Lord is again in these conceptions, these births, acting to redeem his people. And he's going to redeem them, rescue them from oppression, give them freedom in the land that he has given them by the promised descendant of David, the promised Messiah. He has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Uh, now a horn of salvation is an Old Testament image of strength, uh, of mighty power. It, it's a picture taken from their experience of bulls, just as a mighty bull with its horn is a terrifyingly powerful creature. So this deliverer from the house of David would be powerful, strong enough to vanquish their enemies and establish his rule. So Zechariah saying God is now giving us another ruler, this ruler now. Not in the birth of his own son John, but in the birth of of another. And God is doing this in faithfulness to his promise to and about David given by his prophets. Now there are many promises about a descendant of David. Uh, you could look in your cross references. You heard one Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Ezekiel 34 and 37, Jeremiah 33, Micah 5, Amos 9. You can look them up. 
There are many promises and they all start with the Lord's foundational commitment to David which is the source of all the others, the covenant he's made with David in 2 Samuel 7. There the Lord promised that he would raise up one of David's offspring to sit on David's throne and that the Lord would establish that throne, his reign, as an eternal one and through this descendant give his people, the people of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, peace. That promise to David, you see, was itself an expression of the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord's uh, faithfulness to the promises, the covenant he had made with Abraham way back in Genesis to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Way back there in Genesis 17, you see that the Lord said he would be Abraham's God and the God of his descendants and that he would make them fruitful and give them the land of promise. Zechariah is saying that God is now acting to save in faithfulness to his covenant promise to be the God of his people, the God of Abraham's descendants, the promises that are actually the foundation of Israel's continuing existence that were the source of its hope over those dark years of judgment, exile and occupation that Zechariah was still living in. And the salvation that uh, Zechariah says, that God says he is now bringing, is more than liberation from the Romans. The language that describes this salvation actually picks up the promises of the end times, the promises of the age to come. That's how Jews at that time read their Bibles. There was this present evil age and there was the age to come. Uh, this salvation that this descendant of David will bring is going to be the realisation of actually what was always intended for the Lord's people but which Israel's sin had prevented. See, now what was spoken of in Leviticus would be realised, where God would dwell with his people and no longer abhor them, where they would actually be like Adam in the garden before sin. God would walk amongst them and be their God and they would securely be his people. And in being their God, in realising these promises, they would know peace. And that peace is not just the cessation of war, but the secure occupation of the land of promise where they would live in God's presence, enjoying all the bounty the Lord bestowed, the fullness of field and womb. And it would be secure. No enemy now will ever again challenge their possession, would ever again drive them from the land, ever again oppress them. And they will serve the Lord without fear. And in being able to serve him without fear, they'll be secure because they will be changed. Now they will be able, with the coming of this one, to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. That is, they would be conformed to the character and standards of their God. They would truly be his people. They would come to experience the change spoken of in Jeremiah 31 where God's law would be put in their hearts. In Ezekiel 36 where God would take their heart of stone and give them a living heart and move them to follow his decrees. Zechariah says that what 
is spoken of in a sense that end time, the age to come, is what God is now doing through sending this one, this descendant of David. That time, he says, is arriving. And the role of his own son confirms that this is the great end time salvation that God is working now. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. He's saying that John is the one who will be the messenger prophesied to come in Isaiah 40, the messenger who will declare the coming of the Lord himself to save his people. He says, your God reigns. John's coming means that the Lord is coming, bringing that time of comfort. And the Lord is coming to save through forgiving the sins of his people. The sin that had brought his people under judgment, the sin that had lost them the promised land, the sin that meant that even now they lived under the rule of the godless, that sin, as promised in Jeremiah and Micah 7, would be dealt with once and for all. Now you may not be familiar with Micah, but it's one of the great and lovely promises of Scripture. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that a great image? Once they're there, they will never return, never be remembered, never Seen. God had promised that time. And John is the prophet who's saying that the coming of the Lord will save you through the forgiveness of sins. And the Lord's people's experience of the coming of this mighty Saviour, the descendant of David, the one through whom the Lord is saving, redeeming his people, will also confirm that this salvation that this one brings is the promised salvation of the end, of the age to come. Because it will come because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. This one's coming, says Zechariah, is like the rising of the mighty sun, shedding light on all on which it shines, dispelling, just as the sun rolls the night away, dispelling darkness and fear. This one, and again, you can look up all these cross-references, Isaiah 60, brings the light of God. And the darkness he will drive away is the darkness of ignorance of the living God, the darkness of fear because of our sin the way we turn against each other as each tries to be God. Oh, the darkness, that rebellion against God, turning away from God, has spread across the earth. And this one will dispel the shadow that death and the fear of death casts over each one of us. And the light of his coming will direct all who receive his light into the way, the path of peace. That is, in his light, People can now live at peace with the Lord. 
the holy and righteous God, no longer estranged or alienated from him, no longer fearful of his judgment, but able to live in relationship with him, able to live in and enjoy his life-giving presence. Zachariah's word thrills with a conviction that what God has promised his people the salvation they longed for, the salvation of the end time that they would never lose, was now coming in the Saviour the Lord was raising up. He wouldn't be another flawed and failed human Saviour who would improve things for a while, an improvement which would then be lost as people again descended into sin. No, he would be the final Saviour who would reign forever and well just as sin was dealt with forgiven so death would be dealt with it would lose its fearful hold and his people would be changed now this is a big call isn't it big claims that Zachariah spirit inspired is making for a child yet to be born and yet, as we listen, these are claims I think we long to be true. <laughs> to be forgiven. To know that the things we've done would no longer be held against us. And we wouldn't have to live with their guilt. To know freedom from the fear of death. Death that stalks us all each day. To know a changed heart where we can actually do the good from the heart. These are claims we long to be true, aren't they? They're big claims. And they're actually claims that will be tested in the story that follows, the story that starts with the birth of Jesus in the next chapter. Imagine, if you're familiar with this, imagine for a moment that you are hearing or reading these words for the first time, that in a sense Luke's gospel has come into your hands for the first time. Now, now you hear, you read these words and you know it's a prophecy and you know it's a prophecy that looks for fulfilment in events close to hand. Zachariah's prophecy is actually an invitation, isn't it? You are being invited to believe that in what follows in the story of Jesus, God is saving his people. God is saving them through his promised king. God is bringing this big salvation, the salvation promised his people through the prophets at the end of the age, full and complete and irreversible salvation. You're being invited. What will you think as you read on? Let your mind run across the gospel story. At first you might be surprised that such a saviour would be born in a stable but encouraged by the connection with David and the praise of the angelic host. And as you see people healed, blind, deaf and dumb, given sight and hearing, able to speak, as you see, as the people of Nain did, the dead raised. Oh, as you hear people's sins forgiven, whether it's the paralytic or the woman who wept over Jesus' feet, as you see visible, tangible evil, oppressive spirits driven away, as you see peace and wholeness brought by Jesus to so many lives, 
you might start to think, yes, Zechariah is speaking the truth. But as you read on, you might also be puzzled and start to wonder. The Roman invaders seem completely untroubled by this Jesus. He doesn't seem to counter or reverse their rule, their invasion of the promised land. There's no combat, no great display of military power or prowess, the power and prowess David showed. And the religious authorities, those who ought to know, they don't welcome Jesus. In fact, they oppose him and those most zealous for God. The Pharisees also reject him and his claims. And so you might become increasingly uneasy, puzzled. And as you come to the latter part of this story, as in your imagination you heard the sound of the nails being hammered into Jesus' hands, you would say no, wouldn't you? Zachariah was lying. In saying that, you may like Jesus. You might admire him. You might think he's dying a noble, a martyr's death for the cause of truth and love. It may grieve you to say that Zachariah is lying. But in succumbing to the hostility of his enemies, in being overcome by them, not beaten by them, not beating them, in leaving his people in their power as he is killed by their power, there's no deliverance, no rescue there, is there? <laughs> this is not light but darkness. It's not life but the reign of death in the crucifixion. This is not the picture of peace with God. But it's actually just our world, a place of ambiguity, confusion, poverty, grief, pride. The cross would seem to deny Zachariah's words. But you read on. Even if it's hard to persevere through the shock of that disappointment. And you then find those broken, fearful, first followers of Jesus changed, proclaiming Jesus has risen, that he has actually beaten that death. In the only way we can know he has beaten death, in his body, risen, to be seen, to be talked with, to be touched, to share a meal with. Oh, you see that he has reversed the judgment of the world on him. As you see that, as you see that he's been raised by the Lord. And every word, every claim he's made been vindicated, especially the claim to be God's rule with the authority to forgive. As you see that this forgiveness is now to be proclaimed to all. Jesus, taking them to the scriptures after his resurrection, the word that Zechariah said, Jesus' birth and coming was fulfilling. As you see this, as you see this risen Jesus, proclaiming that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all nations. As you see, all that Zacharias spoke, Jesus fulfills. You would think, Zacharias right. Jesus is the inextinguishable light. 
His is the light of truth that drives away ignorance and fear of God, that can withstand hatred of God. Uh, He is the light of life that can drive out the fear of death, the shadow over all our lives, because his is an inextinguishable life, a life he can share. And you see that actually he is mightier than any other king who alone can have an unending reign. And you see that just as he did in his ministry, he can bring peace. Peace through being forgiven now. The peace of wholeness that will come with the resurrection to the new heaven and earth. And having beaten death, you see that not only is he the one, but he does bring all that is promised. He can bring God's people forgiveness through dying for their sins. He can shine the light of his truth into our hearts through his spirit. And yes, reconciling us to God, he does bring peace, enduring peace, forever peace with the Lord, the only God, the God of the whole earth, the righteous and holy judge. And living forever, he can bring what is promised to you and me. His light still shines on us. You see, Jesus is not some little local saviour, some passing king in the pages of history. And his is not some passing political reprieve from oppression. His word, not some finite insights that bring temporary solace in a sea of affliction. No, he brings the big salvation that he was promised to bring and he can bring it to all for all time. He is the powerful sun that shines his light on all the earth, still giving light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. He is the one who through his word and spirit can guide our feet into the path we cannot find ourselves, the way of enduring peace. He is the bringer of the salvation of the end of the age. He does it in his rising. He does it in the pouring out of his spirit. And he will bring the new heaven and earth where there is no evil, no violence, no lies, no pain or grief or tears, no death. So if you are hearing Zechariah's word, his prophecy of what the coming of Jesus means for the first time tonight, if you have never thought of Jesus born in the stable, an image so familiar in our culture, if you have never thought of Jesus as Zechariah presents him. Well, let me beg you, read on in the Gospel. Read the Gospel's defence of that claim. Read on to the shame of the cross and its seeming denial. Read on 
to his glorious resurrection and learn that he is the great saviour, the saviour you need who can give you forgiveness and life. But if you're hearing Zachariah's word again and your heart thrills because you know the Lord is faithful to every word he utters, you know it like Zachariah because in God's mercy, believing that word, you have experienced his faithfulness to his promise. You've experienced that forgiveness for your sin. Uh, you've experienced and known the warmth and clarity and confidence the light of Christ brings, the hope it brings in this world of death. Well, that is if you're a believer in Jesus. Show you know by serving him without fear now as you will serve him in the new heaven and earth. That's what Zechariah was speaking on. This is where his people are before God. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, it's the same word as serve in Zechariah, his servants will serve him and they will see his face. Because Jesus has made us righteous. If you know that, and if you know that this is your future, show it now by living the life of genuine relationship with the Lord, the living God, the life of genuine relationship that Jesus came to bring, where you live in holiness, separated to God, where you live in righteousness, doing his will, living for God, by listening to God, trusting him and obeying him. Live that life of holiness and righteousness that Jesus came to give us. Give yourself to loving what God loves. Truth, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Give yourself to loving what God loves and start to hate what God hates. Selfish greed, unkindness, lies, giving to created things, the trust and love that should only be given to God your creator. Be the people Jesus died to make you and praise him for such a saviour. Praise the Lord your God for such a saviour and such a salvation. Because that is what Zechariah did, isn't it? He proclaimed in the power of the Spirit the truth of Jesus, the might of his God to save, the wonder of God's faithfulness, the reality of his salvation. And this is what you and I, every believer, can do because we have the same Spirit. That is the risen Jesus' great gift to his people. Oh, and yes, like Zechariah, we can proclaim the greatness and the faithfulness and the loving kindness of our God as people who have experienced it for ourselves, trusting Jesus. So praise your God. That should be something you do every morning, every evening, and then share 
The joy of knowing the Lord is faithful. The faithful saviour of his people who saves us forever. Share. Because people are still living in darkness. They don't know the true and living God. They don't think of the judgment to come. If anything, when they mention when you mention God, they want to turn away and run from him because they do not know his kindness. People are still living in darkness and they still live in the shadow of death and they have no answer for it. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus, our great Saviour, that's the one who we remember at Christmas, the light that comes into the world. That's what we rejoice in, the hope of living forever. That's what thrills us because we have a great and kind God. Let's rejoice in the salvation that he brings.